You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. You can open up again over to Romans chapter 5. We are, um, as I was going through this this week, I felt pretty strongly that we were supposed to really go back and stand on some things that we talked about last week. So I'm going to try and do a pretty brief review and then and then go a little deeper into the, some of the, of the things that we talked about last week. I think some of the, we, we kind of rushed through some things at the end last week that are absolutely essential um, to our understanding of the nature of God and how he works in our life and our interpretation of the things that go on around us and how God handles them and how we're supposed to respond and all that kind of thing. So, so I'm, gonna, I'm probably just going to read from some of this to um, hopefully move this review portion along. But I do think it's important that we have the, the foundation that we built last week from this. You know, again, our, our overall topic is hope that endures. Uh, but we were over in Romans chapter 5. I'm going to be reading from the Amplified. And we started in verse 1. And all of these pieces are important to where we're going this morning. So uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we, have, since we have been justified, that is acquitted of sin and declared blameless before God by faith, let us grasp the fact that we have peace with God and the joy of reconciliation with him. You know, that's what, now that I think about it, that's what was hitting me during worship. I really, I just was overcome, and this happens somewhat frequently, by this idea of God's redeeming, buying back our lives. And I, I can just think back on my life and I can think, man, I could have gone so many different directions. I have so many friends that didn't even live this long because of all the stuff that we were into and we were doing. I have friends that went to prison and friends that died in other countries. I have friends that, you know, all kinds of of things. And um, just the grace of God, it's just amazing. So he says that we should grasp the fact that we have peace with God and the joy of reconciliation with him through our Lord Jesus Christ. We said the first step to maintaining this kind of eternal hope in God is we've got to know and accept the truth about our position in him, that we're reconciled to him, that we've been justified, we've been sanctified, set apart to him. We've been brought into this position of righteousness. We have this access to him through faith. It's, it's just a phenomenal thing. And until those truths begin to displace, the devil would keep you in a sense of guilt and condemnation and separation from God and barely approaching him in a fearful way all of your life if you let him do it. That's what he wants to do. He's an accuser. He doesn't have that many tools. And he has lies. And if he can get you to believe those, he can lead you off down a path. He has half-truths, which are lies. And, and, uh, and he has this accusation and he can bring this condemnation because all of us blow it. But the point is, the fact is, the truth is that because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we've been fully forgiven and brought into relationship with him. We've got to let that truth displace this other stuff so that we can live this face-to-face life with God and and walk with him. So in verse 2 of Romans chapter 5, again from the Amplified, it says, through him, through Jesus, we also have 
access by faith into this remarkable state of grace in which we firmly and safely and securely stand. You don't fall in and out of grace with God. You, if you are a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you firmly and safely stand in a state, a remarkable state of grace. I just love that phrase. Uh, and he says, let us rejoice. Remember, that means to brag on God, to shout about God, to tell people how about his goodness and his graciousness. Let us rejoice in our hope and the, and the confident assurance of experiencing and enjoying the glory of our great God, the manifestation of his excellence and power. The important thing there is that we, number one, realize that, and we've talked extensively about this, that our faith, our trust in God, our confidence in God, accesses, leads us into, but accesses that flow of grace. So as we exert faith, we access the grace of God and we receive what God has for us. Secondly, it says that um, we have this confident assurance, which is hope, all right, of experiencing and enjoying the glory of our great God, the manifestation of his excellence and power. That is not just about heaven. And that's what we tend to do is we, we tend to take a lot of things from the word of God, a lot of the blessing, a lot of the tremendous, overwhelming, you know, unimaginable blessings and declarations that God has made over us. And we want to put them off into heaven. We want to put them off because, well, I don't feel that way today or, or I'm not experiencing that fully. That's because you're on planet earth. But understand, don't, don't put the experience of God's glory, the experiencing of his power and his goodness and his excellence in your mind. Don't set that into a realm that you, you can't touch yet. Okay, don't set that into, well, that's for after I die, or that's for when we're all in heaven. That's for, no, it's for right now. The scripture tells us we are right now in eternal life. This is it, okay? It's, we're going to experience it more fully, no doubt, but this is it. And everything that's, that's given to us in that realm is available to us today because it's all in Jesus Christ, all right? All the promises of God are yes and amen in him. So, we don't want to set those things. We do the same thing with the responsibility to pray for the sick. We do the same thing with responsibility to cast out. Well, all of that's for a different time. It either, it either, it's for a past time. It passed away with the apostles. There's nowhere in the scripture or church history that says that. Or it's for the future. It's for heaven. We'll all be healed in heaven. Well, yeah, we will, but it's for today. And, and we don't have any responsibility for that end. We do have a responsibility for today. So we just need to be careful about not doing that with our thinking, okay? Um, so the other thing we talked about is this idea of rejoicing. And this is going to come up again and again today. Rejoice means to boast, to brag out loud, to tell someone about your hope, to loudly praise God out of the hope that he plants in your heart and, and it's one of the great keys to maintaining hope is to be a person who continually rejoices in God. And in any situation, like Boyd said this morning, there's always a reason to be thankful. There's, God doesn't change when our day stinks, okay? God doesn't change. So there's always a reason to praise God. Not only is there always a reason to do it, and it's just kind of a good thing to do, it's one of the great ways that we have of releasing spiritual authority is through our praise. When we praise God, 
whether things are good or things are bad, when we praise God, we release spiritual authority. The scripture tells us that the enemy is actually silenced by the praises of God's people. So it's, it's a really important thing for us to get hold of. When things start going bad, we praise God. When things are good, we praise God. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. All right. So we come back to verse three, and this is what I wanted to really begin with today. Uh, we talked about this a bit last week. And it says, I'm reading from the NIV here, and we went, I'm going to go back through these terms for you. It says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Back there, it's talking about rejoicing in our hope, rejoicing in the great access that we have, rejoicing in the glory of God, rejoicing in all that. This verse says, not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character Hope. So you can see this. We start out in hope over here. Things are not going well. We step into this place of perseverance. We rejoice in that place. And that process develops character in us and character leads us right back to this place of hope. And I, I want us to go a little more in depth about that this morning. So we said last week, I described these terms to you here. Uh, you know, this term suffering. We rejoice in our sufferings. It is that Greek term, thlipsis. If any of you wanted, it's T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S, thlipsis. All right. It means extreme pressure. It means to crush, to squeeze, to compress beyond measure, to experience a crushing weight from circumstances. All right. So all of us know what that feels like to have things going on in your life and they're just putting pressure on you. And I just want, to, want you to think about what, why that happens and why, uh, you know, when we put pressure on something, things move. When you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, the toothpaste comes out the end. It's physics, okay? It's, it's when, we, when something is pressured, either... Heat is generated, something happens, you know, but, but I want us to think of it as, as something moves, something comes out, okay? Uh, maybe you've popped a pimple, you know? <laughs> when we put pressure on things, the devil wants to put pressure on your life through your circumstances. When, and let me just take it from this before we even get to the devil, because the devil certainly wants to control people and circumstances and put pressure on your life as a Christian, no question about it. But life on earth does it anyway. Other people's choices do it. Some of the greatest pressure any of us feel is through other people's choices, through our own choices, you know. And, and when we feel squeezed, when we feel pushed, we're going to move. And we're going to either, something's going to start to come out of us with our words and our actions. Does that make sense? Pressure comes, we want to move. Sometimes we want to escape and get away from the pressure, which is usually a bad idea. Uh, sometimes we just want to let it all out. We want to vent, right? Whatever it is, something's going to start to come out of us in words, attitudes, actions. We have a choice right there in that pressure point to make those words, attitudes, and actions to either do the right thing and agree with God 
and glorify God in that situation, that is actually, it's one of the most powerful things when we discipline ourselves in those situations to exalt God, to know, and and to do this, you've got to know who he is. You've got to understand who he is and that he's not the source of these negative things coming against your life. You've got to know that. You've got to be convinced of John 10.10 that It is the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And it is Jesus who came to give life and life more abundantly. It is is the the dividing line of the scripture. And if you are not confident in the nature of God, or if you have been taught a bunch of (laughs) baloney about the nature of God, then you're going to react very differently. You've got to be convinced. This is not God's design and will for me. Is he here in the middle of it? And will he work with me in it? Yes, of course. But that doesn't mean it came with his intention, that he set it into your life with a purpose. And that is a huge teaching in Christianity. And it is not biblical. It is not correct. But it has gotten into religion and it is so... Everybody out there thinks we all believe that. But anyway, we have a choice in that place of pressure. What's going to come out of my life? We have a choice right there. Am I going to do the right thing or am I going to do the wrong thing? Am I going to trust in the right thing or am I going to trust in the wrong thing? Am I going to let this pressure move my trust to me, to what I can do, to somebody else, to the government, to, to my husband or wife, to my family, to my to myself, to my business, to my money, whatever it is, am I just going to become angry? Am I start gonna am I gonna just start to to cuss and spit and you know and and vent in that way? Or am I gonna stand here and am I gonna to begin to just grab hold of who God is and let that drive what begins to come out of my life? Not just in words, but also in my actions. What steps do I take? All right, so this extreme pressure, we understand, we get it. It's a crushing weight from circumstances. It's just something we experience in life. We live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen planet. People so often ask, well, why did this happen? Number one, I just, I don't like the why question. I mean, I don't mind them being asked of me because I can just say, I don't know. But I mean, even when, if we're, if we're focused on why God, why God, why God. I just never see anybody get anywhere with that. But the simple answer is because this isn't heaven, this is planet earth because man fell and introduced sin and death into the earth. And we live in that because God doesn't. He has chosen in his own sovereignty not to micromanage everything that happens on this planet and just work us like puppets. Instead, he decided to give us authority in his name in this earth. And Jesus came and redeemed us. And one day this will all be over. And there is a devil still loose in the earth who has been, he has been conquered, but he has not been fully subdued. And the church has been left here to do battle with him and to restrain him and restrict him and release God into the earth during this age. Like, that's the simple answer. Uh, you know, but it's true. It's because we're on planet Earth. We're not in heaven, okay? It's why things happen. And so we all experience these things. And, the, and this verse, in many translations, not all of them, but many translations, 
comes across this way, we really kind of misunderstand it. It says, we know that suffering produces perseverance. Again, I'll say this to you again. The Greek word that's translated produces, it does not mean suffering creates perseverance. It does, and that's what we think of when we say produces. It's like, well, it makes it. It, it creates it. And that's not what it means. That word means to put something to work. This is what the Greek word, and I'm going to show you a place just, we're, we're going to go look at James in a minute, and it's translated more that, way, more that way. It's to put something to work, to give something, that something being perseverance, right? It puts perseverance to work, or it gives persever, perseverance a workout, all right? I told you last week, this, when the, when in the Greek writings that we have about their games and the gymnasium and the workouts and all that, this, this word is used in that area of a workout. It gives something a workout, all right? It means to activate one's powers and faculties, to activate something that is a faculty within us already, perseverance. It activates perseverance. It doesn't create perseverance. You know, it, the, the bottom line is, and we say this, and we say it a little flippantly, but it's so true. If suffering produced perseverance, if it created it, every person on earth would be really strong in perseverance because everybody experiences pressure and suffering. Everybody does. And some would, and the people who experience the most pressure and suffering would be the most persevering. They wouldn't be running and trying to get away from it. They wouldn't be cursing God. They wouldn't be doing any of that. They'd be, they'd be our champions of endurance. They would be the most patient people on the earth if it was just being in the presence of suffering that did that. We know that's not true, and the scripture doesn't say it. Okay, it's like if you go into the gym and you have the weights there that will put weight on you or that will cause the resistance, right? You, you go in there and, and you can't just go in there and be in the presence of the weights and gain strength. I've tried it. It doesn't work, okay? You, you can't do it that way. And just picking the weights up and throwing them at somebody else. You know, we go in. Karen picks up a weight, she hits me with it. That doesn't make me any stronger. Just being hit by resistance in your life, it doesn't make you any stronger. You have to take what you already have, the muscle that God has already put in your body, and you have to begin to resist, to push against the weights in order to develop anything, right? That's what this verse is saying. So there's something that God, a faculty, a characteristic, the, the first century church called it a grace that God has put inside of believers called perseverance. We talked about it last, last week. Um, it is, they called it the, the queen of graces. They, when they started coming under tremendous persecution, this grace rose up in them and they started writing about it. When you read some of their writings, they, they were kind of amazed by the fact that they could praise God while they were being slaughtered. They could, this thing would come up in them and it was, they called it patient endurance. They used this, they grabbed this word from the Greek, hupomene, which means to be able to stand under something. And they found this rising up on the inside of them and resisting and contending with what was coming against them from the outside. It's, it's a tremendous quality that God has put 
on the inside of us. Suffering is not the source of it. It's what puts it to work. When suffering comes and you say, well, I don't react that way. Well, you can. I'm just trying to tell you, you can. It's in there, okay? It's in there. But we need to learn about it. We need to pray over it. We need to begin to react differently and, and learn how to go down inside, learn how to let what God has put in. And actually, if you start letting the praise of God out of your mouth in the face of suffering, you will find a, a, an unusual courage and endurance and strength and perseverance uh, that will give you the power. We read the description. We read that last week. It's such a tremendous uh, definition that it, it's, it's this grace that allows the believer to contend with both the inward and outward hindrances that try to keep them from performing God's will. And it allows them to in no way compromise, in no way surrender, in no way give up. It's just a tremendous, tremendous quality that's on the inside. And I know, I can tell, I can feel it. Some of you are thinking, well, I just don't have that. Yes, you do. Please believe the word of God. Yes, you do. You may not have experienced it. It may not be your nature. It doesn't have to be your nature. It's God's nature. It's what's something that God has put inside of you through the new birth. And it's just a matter of beginning to change what you believe, what you believe about God, what you believe about your role in those situations, and then beginning to let, to let that out. And it's not something you have to come up with. It will rise up within you and contend with these things on the outside. So, you know, why is this so important? It's important because this goes directly to understanding God's nature and ways. And if we're not accurate with what we're doing about God's nature and ways, again, we start to believe these things that, well, maybe God, you know, uh, sends these things into our life. You hear it. This is just, this bothers me so much. You hear it all the time. You hear, well, you know, God took your child to teach you such and such. God's not a murderer. He's not a killer. He, I, I've heard, I've heard, um, you know, if you, if you pray for patience, don't do that. God will break your leg or something to teach you how to be patient. It's not the way, whose legs did Jesus break? Who's, who are you looking at to think that about God? How many people did Jesus make sick when they came to him needing something? He's the exact image of the Father God. He's the exact representation of his nature. He didn't make anybody sick. He didn't make, he's the healer. He, how, what kind of sense would it make for him to come along into your life? Oh, you need some patience. Well, I'm going to make you really sick. I'm going to put you on your back for six months and we'll teach you some patience. But then I'm going to send, I'm going to tell believers, they should go and pray for your healing. Jesus said a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. Some of this stuff that we have bought into and that gets preached all the time is senseless. It makes absolutely no sense when you lay it up against who God has revealed himself to be. So it's so important to realize suffering's not coming into your life to teach you. Suffering's not going to be, you, you know, and if it was, if it really was that suffering produced patience, if sickness coming into your life produced patience and perseverance and all that, you would have no business resisting it. 
We would have no business praying for the sick. We would need to pray that that sickness stays on them as long as possible so that they can be developed as possible. Scripture doesn't tell us to do that. Strange. Doesn't tell us to curse people's business. Doesn't tell us to curse their family. Doesn't tell us to have their car. God, bless them with their car breaking down every time they try to go anywhere. Just bless them with breakdowns. Oh, God, thank you so much. Doesn't tell us that. Doesn't tell us to rejoice in for the suffering. It tells us to rejoice, brag about God in the middle of the suffering. Those are very, and you say, well, that's kind of a subtle difference. It's an enormous difference when you take it into who God is and the character of God and how we're representing him and what we're doing in the middle. Are we, are we standing when things, because you know the old bumper sticker, stuff happens, right? Stuff happens in everybody's life. And, and when that happens, when that pressure comes, we need to make the right choice. We need to start releasing what God gave us to deal with those situations. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so this scripture, let me read it again. Think about where I am. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces or works out patience, uh, perseverance. Perseverance, character. Okay, so what God supplied, which is perseverance or that word hupomene, the, the ability, you know, the quality of character that doesn't let the believer surrender. When, when we start to walk in that perseverance. And so we contend against that pressure that's coming. We start resisting it in the name of Jesus Christ. When that happens, when we live like that, the Bible says the next thing that happens is we grow in character. That word, character, means it is a proven faithfulness. So in that situation, we show forth faithfulness. We don't change. We don't get knocked off our path. We, don't, we, we show faithfulness to God, faithfulness to his word. We don't vary. We don't start to question him. We don't start to question who he is, what his purpose is, all that kind of stuff. It's a proven faithfulness. It is trustworthiness. And it, or it is a tried integrity, an integrity in you and I that has been tested by standing, by persevering in the face of stuff, right? In the face of the pressure. We, we grow in that character. This word character speaks of, get this, the, of the quality of unshakable integrity that marks the believer. Unshakable integrity that it, it marks the believer. It is a part of your life. It also speaks of confidence in God's faithfulness that is developed when we experience his love, power, mercy, favor, working in our lives as we walk through pressure. We experience the goodness of God. We experience the glory of God. We experience his excellence. We experience all the things we just read. We experience that as we're walking through this thing and we're, we're exerting that endurance, that perseverance, and we're bragging on God and all of that, all of that process is going on on the inside of us, this unshakable integrity starts to grow on the inside of us. Integrity, the word integrity means firm adherence 
to a moral and ethical standard. Firm adherence to a moral and ethical standard. It means to be undivided. Not double-minded in the middle of that. I'm not thinking one thing one day and one thing the next day. I am set on God. I'm being faithful to who he is. I'm confessing who he is. I am, I am still in hope looking past this whole thing that I'm going through, knowing that everything on this earth, if, if, I, if I die fighting this thing, I'll still get past this thing because everything on this earth is temporary. It is not my eternity. Nothing on this earth is my eternity. Okay? So unshakable integrity. I love that. It's the ability to remain faithful through outward challenges and inward temptations. Let me, let me read you. I want to read um, Psalm 15, and I don't have it on your screen. I just want to read it to you, the first five verses. There's so much here. It says, O Lord, who may lodge in your tent? Who may dwell continually on your holy hill? Uh, the Passion Translation right there says, who dwells daily in the life of the Holy Spirit? Who dwells daily in the life of the Holy Spirit? It is he who walks with integrity and strength of character, who works or does righteousness and speaks and holds truth in his heart. So you see it? It's this person that's just, going on, walking in integrity, working righteousness, speaking the truth. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. So again, something's going to start to come out of you in those pressure situations, saying this person that dwells, that walks every day in the presence of the Holy Spirit, does not slander with his tongue. We don't start blaming everybody else. We don't pull up the victim card, start blaming everybody else, nor does evil to his neighbor. Well, if it was good enough for me, then I'll just do it to them. I think I've told you this story a bunch of times, but I remember when I was brand very young believer. I mean, I was still, I was just out of high school and I was working this job at this concrete place and this truck driver had come in and somebody at a truck stop had stolen his CB radio out of his truck the night before. So he went and stole somebody else's. And he said, well, you know, the good book says, do unto others as they've done unto you. <laughs> I said, I piped up, you know, I said, I don't think that's exactly what that says, you know. And, uh, but anyway, it's, you know, to do evil to your neighbor. I'm just going to take it out on somebody else. Life, you know, is happening this way for me. Well, I'm just going to take it out on somebody else nor takes up a reproach against his friends. Start criticizing other people, start putting other people down. It says, in his eyes, an evil person is despised. That word despised there doesn't mean hated exactly. It means not honored or respected. In other words, in his eyes, he doesn't put weight on what an ungodly person says or their ways. He doesn't honor that. He doesn't respect that. You can love people, but not, respect their opinion about things because their if their opinion isn't godly you don't have to respect their opinion you don't have to take it on the inside you can still love them uh, without doing that but instead he honors those who fear the lord who and obediently worship him with awe-inspired reverence and submissive wonder he keeps his word this is what i wanted to get to he keeps his word even to his own disadvantage and does not change it for his own benefit that's integrity. Keeping your word, giving your word, 
you keep your word. Even when things change and pressure comes and things don't look good, if you've given your word, you keep your word, or you go to that person and you say, hey, these things have happened. I'm going to have a hard time fulfilling that. What can we work out? But you don't just go back on your word. You don't just break your covenant. You don't just break your promise. Oh, well, I just said I'd do it. That's your word. Okay, that's your word. You didn't have to sign a piece of paper. You didn't have to have a lawyer stamp it. When we give our word, this is what integrity looks like. It looks like I'm supposed to, I'm, I'm expected, I've agreed to be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning. So you show up at 8 or before, generally before. You don't show up at 5 after, or 10 after, or 20 after. That's a lack of integrity. Okay, and boy... That has gotten, I'm so glad we don't, the only people we employ do what they're supposed to do, okay? But I'm so glad I'm not out there these days. So anyway, you get it. Integrity. This is, we're supposed to be walking in integrity. He does not put out his money at interest. This was something in Israel you were supposed to give uh, if the people were, we're brothers and sisters. If it was a foreigner, you could charge him interest. Uh, does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Okay? So it's, it's talking about living in unshakable integrity. When we, again, when pressure comes, we rejoice in God, we brag on God, we stay faithful, we walk through that, we put pressure against it, it produces this unshakable integrity, this character, and that gets easier and easier. It's one of the things that grows. Are you still with me? It's one of the things that grows as we handle pressure that way. If we quit in the middle of pressure, we don't grow in character. We don't ever grow up, period. If we always run, always quit, always go do something else, you'll short-circuit this this process that we're talking about. All right, we've just got a few minutes left. Let's go over to James chapter one with me. And let's look at these verses. Um, James chapter one, verses two and three. It, it says, it tells us the same thing, essentially with some, some different words. James says, consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith brings out endurance. Same, same exact words here, but instead of being translated produces endurance, James says, for whatever reason, the translators here say it brings out endurance. It brings endurance out. That, that makes absolute sense, all right? And steadfast patience, that's the same. It's the Greek word hupomene. Okay, so it says, consider it wholly joyful. The word consider means discipline your mind to think this way. Add it up this way. When stuff happens, there's joy to be had. Okay, it says all joy. Uh, in the New King James, it says consider it all joy. It, it means there's nothing but joy. You know, and that's, that's got to be a discipline of our mind. Joy is something to brag on God about. This is telling us the same things. Um, this word testing here, it is, it is a Greek word that 
it, it describes a test that proves the inherent strength, ability, or equipping of something. It proves the inherent strength of something. Okay, so this would be like, uh, we have some pretty good tents, and they've withstood some pretty nasty storms, even above tree line, huge winds, snow, all kinds of stuff. Um, the tent was designed... It had the integrity. It had the design to withstand all that weather. And when that weather came against it, what was in it, what was built into it, was proven to work. It withstood it. It didn't leak. It didn't collapse. It didn't do any of that stuff. It's awesome. But if some kid went out there with a sledgehammer and just beat that tent into the ground, it was never designed for that. The kind of testing that we're being talked to about here is that God has already put and built qualities inside of us. And as we go through life, there are things that come and those qualities rise up and withstand. Those qualities rise up. When this word is used of God, listen to me, it never means a test or a proving to destroy. It's never the kid with the sledgehammer beating it into the ground. When it's used of the devil, it means a test to destroy. He wants to come into your life and destroy it. When it's used of God, it's always a testing to prove the integrity of something. It's always that God knows you can handle this situation. I've already put it in you. I've equipped you ahead of time. You can handle it. You may not know you can handle it, but you can handle it. And this test that comes is just going to prove the quality of what God has put on the inside of you. That's the word test in this verse. James 1.13 tells us, never say that it's God, right? Never, do we need to look at it? Are you still with me? All right, I don't want to lose you. James 1.13. Hang on, I'm getting there. I know you are. I know, dear, you're already there. You have those pages. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Let no man say, no one should ever say it, I'm being tempted, tested, tried of God. The only way the word test and tried is used of God, it, the word prove is a much better. It's like, oh, I spent all this time souping up this engine. Watch how fast it goes. And you take it out and you show how fast it can go on the track, of course. Uh, you, you're not on a public highway, but you, but you show how much what's been built into it. Does this make sense to you? That's the way that God, it's never used to describe God putting something in someone's path to trip them up or harm them. He only proves what he's already equipped and approved. But it is preached that way all the time. And you need to learn, you need to let that shield of the Holy Spirit come up and say, when you hear that kind of stuff, well, God's probably sent this destruction into your life to teach you something. God sent that storm to punish people. God sent that plague to, to hurt people. We live in the new covenant. Thank God. We don't live in a time where when sin happens, there's immediate judgment. 
judgment has fallen on Jesus. We live in a different time. Okay? All right, let's try to wrap this up. A couple more verses and we'll be done. All right, verses 4 and 5, James chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience, upomene, let that, not the, not the suffering, not the pressure, not the destruction, let the patience, the perseverance, have full play and do a thorough work. So again, it's not suffering that's supposed to be doing the work. It's the perseverance that is doing the work in us so that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects. Are any of you there yet? Because I want to be better friends. Uh, With no defects, lacking in nothing. If any of you is deficient in wisdom, let him ask of the giving God who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly without reproaching or fault finding and it will be given to him. So pressure activates patient endurance. All right, doesn't create it. Walking through challenges in that patient endurance develops character. All right, and then it says through that character being developed, we become people, it says, who are in the Amplified, who are perfectly and fully developed. That is the same word that's used to describe mankind before the fall in his original creation. Before the fall, without the dominion of sin, with the clean relationship with God, with the authority in the earth. It's the same word. It says, let this be, this is God's goal. And and letting, giving yourself to the work of perseverance, of hupomene, creates us, moves us on the inside, lacking nothing, all right? Let me read you one more verse and we're done this morning, okay? I just like the way, oh, yeah, sorry, probably two verses. James chapter one, verse five, if any of you is deficient in wisdom, let him ask of the giving God, all right? Why is that important? Because the scripture tells us that God, you can find this over in Proverbs chapter one and Proverbs chapter two, God, the the beginning of wisdom, wisdom is the correct and timely application of truth, of God's word, God's ways, God's viewpoint. We need to apply truth to life, all right? We don't always know how to do that. So James tells us, if you're looking for wisdom, if you want to know how to, what to apply to life in the midst of pressure, don't look to the pressure, and people do it all the time. Oh, what's this? What's this trying to teach me? What's this, you know, trying to do? Don't look to the pressure. Don't look to the destruction. Don't look to the ways of man. Look to the word. Look to God's nature. Ask him. And it says over in Proverbs chapter 2, God stores up wisdom for his people. He hides it, it says, but he hides it and stores it for us. Not from us, for us. So James says, ask God for wisdom. He gives it to us freely. He doesn't say, well, kid, you are such an idiot. He doesn't get on us first the way we might do with other people. You know, this was your own fault. You did this. It says he doesn't do it that way. He gives us the wisdom that we need. But we can't be looking to the situation. We can't be looking to our past. We can't be looking to something else from the world to fix this thing. We need to go to God. 
in the midst of these situations, we need to go to God. And so he tells us, don't, you know, in the midst of all of this, you come down through all of this and you're going to need wisdom, go and ask the Lord. He has it for you. I'm just going to unplug right there. There's one, I'd like to read one of those verses from the Passion, but let's just quit right there. Why don't we stand up and pray? Did you get anything out of this today? All right. Thank you, Lord. Becky's going out to prepare the sugar, the sugar IV out there. Thank you, Father. Father God, this morning, Lord, as as we come to this time, Father, uh, I just pray, Lord, that we would allow, we covered a lot of things this morning. Lord, for any of us in our hearts, in our station in life right now, you're the only one, actually. We don't even know our own hearts the way you do. So, Lord, if there's any place in our hearts where we're still hanging on to some of that religious thinking about you and about you bringing suffering into our life and those types of things, we just ask, Lord, we just want to walk in the truth. We want to walk in the truth of who you are and what you've said because it's the only truth. That is truth. And so, so Father, we present all of that to you this morning. We present our hearts and our minds to you where, where our thinking needs to be changed and where we need to become really rooted in your character and your nature, where we need to be able to connect with what you have put on the inside of us, whether it's perseverance, whether it's mercy, whether it's love, whether it's truth, whatever it might be, Lord, we need to connect with what you have deposited. We want to be those people who go out equipped to walk through and subdue the storms of life, not even just to survive. We don't, we don't even look to just be survivors. We certainly don't look to be victims. You have said we are world overcomers in Jesus Christ. You have said, Lord, that, that we can always walk, that you constantly lead us in victory. That's what your word says. So, Father, we just ask you to transform us, to change our hearts, to change our thinkings. We just ask you, Holy Spirit, to continue to thump our spirit with your words until it is ingrained and written on the inside of us so so that we just automatically live from it. Lord, we thank you for it. And Lord, we thank you for the grace you've put in us. We thank you that as we go into our world, Lord, into our spheres of influence, our jobs, our places, our relationships in this community and beyond today and throughout this week, Father, we just trust that the grace and the glory of God is going to rise up and empower us so that we can touch other people, so that we can expand your kingdom Lord, not just so that we can live better, but Father, so that we can accurately communicate how awesome and good that you are, Lord God. Father, we thank you for all of that today, Lord. And again, I just, if you have to speak to us in the night, speak to us in dreams, but change our hearts, get these things rooted in us. And I thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's say it on the count of three. And, and you guys, I think you know, it, there's always prayer available after church if you need prayer for anything. Oh, yeah, there's not that may here today. But yeah, if you want to bring food back in here to, to be more spaced out, you know, you can do that. We usually don't encourage that, but you can sure do that. Uh, so let's say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world. And then you guys go out there and be the church in Gunnison this week. All right, one, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.